Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Come Sit With Us. Uh, this podcast is an opportunity for friends to come together and share some of their insights around mindfulness. And today we're going to talk about mindfulness and the practices of mindfulness that can be useful with families. And I'm so excited to have a friend of mine here, Nicole, who will tell us more about her work, but that I just admire so much for uh, her programming around uh, bringing mindfulness to youth, young people, and also towards families, which is so necessary. So Nicole, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, about you? Yeah, thanks. So my name's Nicole, I use she, her pronouns. Um, professionally, I am a social worker, so I work in the children and youth mental health field, and I've been doing that for a while. Before that, I was also um, a youth outreach worker. I facilitate yoga classes, so I've facilitated um, kids' yoga classes, family yoga, um, teens, as well as, like, adults. Um, and I'm also trained in trauma-sensitive um, yoga as well, so I'm a facilitator, so really bringing those pieces around work that I would do in a clinical setting, as well as bringing that into a yoga component and also facilitating like a mindfulness ambassador program. Okay, that's really <laughs> cool. That's really cool. Um, okay, right off the bat, I'm just so curious. And, you know, we did have a plan and I'm already going off <laughs> route here. Don't get nervous. But um, what would you say the biggest challenge that you've had when working with mindfulness in young people? Yeah, I think it's trying to get the interest there sometimes and being really creative. I think with adults, sometimes it's easier because you can talk about the benefits and some people are like, yeah, like I'm really interested in this or like there's an interest already that you can work with or curiosity. And sometimes with kids, I feel like it's a little bit harder to, depending on what you're doing or on mindfulness, it can feel like, you know, why would I do this versus, doing the other things that I really enjoy and especially now with like just the times of like COVID and like lack of connection I feel like a lot of that is just virtual so like playing video games is a way to connect with friends and have enjoyment um and so sometimes it's like you know I could play a video game or like watch a funny video so why would I do mindfulness in these pieces so I found like it's really about being creative and really finding things especially if you get to know a young person so if they're into like art or if they're into like more physical activity, like how do you bring those pieces in to connect it? So there's a bit more of an interest and just kind of working with them around that and having them ask questions and like being like bringing up that curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, mostly I think it's going to be parents that are listening to this podcast and they're going to be saying, you know, I want to introduce mindfulness into my, into my life and into my kids' lives. And, you know, both you and I know, because we both have been facilitators of young people that it's not easy. It's like herding cats. It is, it's very, it's very, very challenging. And like, I always say here, you know, like, mindfulness is a slow medicine and young people actually don't have um, the brain development yet to understand that sometimes we have to invest um, our times in things that are not so easy or not so like joyful so that we can have a positive impact later on. Like that's actually just like 
not how they're wired yet. So explaining the benefits, they're like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. And I think that what I, I, in my personal experience have had uh, a good time with is like, yeah, bringing it into the moment, bringing it into now, like you said, meeting them where they're at, getting creative, like, you know, anyways, we're going to go into more ways that we can incorporate, um, that's actually our next question. Oh my gosh. Yes. So how do you think um, parents can start to um, introduce or get their young people, their children, or maybe their nieces, their nephews to practice mindfulness? So I think like talking about what mindfulness is, and I always say like doing it in a way that's age appropriate. So like the way you might talk to a teen is going to be different than maybe talking to a four-year-old around what mindfulness is. And it can be small amounts around like, you know, it might be just like, how do we stay present and notice the feelings that we have right now? Um, like noticing what emotions are coming up or noticing how you're feeling, or can we take a moment to slow down? And you can always relate it to things that are going on with them. Like if you feel like they're always going on a fast pace, it could be an activity around like, you know, if they're craving, let's say like a favorite dessert or something like that, and then they eat it really quickly, you could be like, slow down the process of like, oh, like, do you notice the flavors and like bring in mindfulness there and then kind of work with that example of like, this is like how, what mindfulness can be like. Sometimes we go through things really quickly and may not actually like appreciate all the little pieces of the moment, like being in the present. Um, and so I think also just like creating time to do it together. So I think that family piece can be really helpful. I know it's something that we might talk about a bit later around like why maybe having families and not just like children doing it. Um, so I think like that's a really helpful piece around, you know, when you're introducing it to children, like if they're seeing you do it as well, that I think helps reinforce those pieces. Yes. Can I just like really pin that, you know, oftentimes with, you know, parents and also educators, excuse me, yeah. somebody might cover me, but it's a lot of time, this culture of like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And I think that children actually learn by mimicking and by mirroring so it's really important that we are personally incorporating the practices within our own life you know and another thing that you said that was really interesting around like bringing it into real life you know I have a 13 year old sister so now she's not a child you know but at one point she was like itty bitty and I remember um, her having really uh, emotional like upsets like everybody has mm -hmm. them right like you get angry you get tantrum you get all of these things and I used to use that as an opportunity to practice mindfulness with her I you know took her to the side or took her away from whatever the stimulus was right I created a little bit of a a bubble for us. And, you know, I engaged her in breathing first, and then I would ask her how she felt next. Right. And then I asked, you know, what could I do to help her after? So I think that, you know, we often think of mindfulness or meditation as being this very, um, specific type of practice and we've been talking about this for weeks now on the podcast but like a specific formal practice of sitting still mm 
but you know, the mindfulness is actually being woven into our lives, like through and through, and we can always find opportunities to do that. So I love that from what you said. Um, do you have any other tips? Um, I'm not sure. Cause I cut you off, but no, no worries. <laughs> yeah, I think like kind of echoing what you were saying, like, you know, really finding interactive ones that resonate with your kid. Like if you know your kid's not a kid who likes to like sit still all the time, introducing mindfulness and being like, Hey, you're going to sit still for like five minutes is going to be difficult. I know as adults, sometimes like we struggle with that too. So it's like, you know, what are things that we can do that can be mindful? If we're going for a walk, can you make it maybe a little bit of a scavenger hunt dolls? Like, can we notice if we see like a blue flower or, you know, maybe a sign that looks like this. And like, then the kids are really paying attention to their environment instead of just like going on a walk and not really paying attention because like, they're looking for these pieces. Um, and I think like bringing in different activities and especially as your child like gets older, they want to be part of the decision-making process a bit more. So even just being like, Hey, these are some activities I found, like let's try incorporating mindfulness. You could have a conversation around what that could be like, or like, which of these activities do we want to choose from? And like having them like choose. So they have say, and it's not like they're being forced necessarily to do this. Cause sometimes that can feel like a punishment too, of like, okay, like we have to do this. This is what's happening. But it's like, okay, like this is something I can do. And like, I think play can also be very much like a part of that as well. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. As you were speaking, something else that comes up for me is that game. I spy with my little eye. That's a mindfulness game, you know, like again, you know, mindfulness is the practice of engaging with our senses. Like we can Mm -hmm. only experience mindfulness through our seeing, our hearing, our tasting, our, our feeling. Did I say that? But our five senses, I don't know if I, I missed one. And, you know, some of these old games that we've played, I spy with my little eye is a way that we bring folks into awareness of the moment. And that's really good for, I think, youth under the age of like six, even eight, and it can become really fun. And so I really love that, like scavenger hunts, using the outdoors to, um, to inspire because also children are in a place where creativity is, um, like they're constantly creating these new games. They're, con- you know, like we have to meet them there in, in creativity. It's not about like making them more calm, more peaceful, more quiet. Like, mm-hmm. no, right? Like, again, you know, that's not, that's also not mindfulness for adults, right? Like, we're yeah. not always going to be content, calm, peaceful, blah, blah, blah. Like, and we can't expect that of children. It's really just about, um, I think, bringing them into the moment. So I think that that's really great. Uh, Such good pieces. And I think like just going off of what you were saying too, um, like sometimes I'm explaining mindfulness in like therapy settings to young kids and we're doing an activity and they do something completely different, but it works. So it's like not being so rigid and just like allowing them, like they may have a different understanding of it, but sometimes like what they end up creating and doing with that is like, I'm like, oh, this is so much better than what I was saying or like the example I gave because they just really went with it. I, yes, yes. So some of you might know this, that know me, that did I even introduce myself? I'm Rochelle, by the way. <laughs> but um, I used to teach young people 
now because of COVID-19, we're no longer in schools, we're no longer in community centers, all of these different things. And I have learned the most about mindfulness for my young people. I have learned the most about like creating meditation practices from my young people. You know, like I've learned the most about teaching yoga for my young people. And um, it's because of that piece around creativity. It's like they are taking in the information, but we have to let go enough to our ideas of what this is to allow um, our children to be. And that's why I'm really most inspired about doing this podcast with you specifically right now is because like we really need to give space for our children to be. And Mm -hmm. mindfulness is a place where our children can just be. And and I, I think that one of the things that you also said that stood out is like, like not to be strict about it, not to be, not to have our own ideas about it, but to really meet them in this like, place where anything is possible, you know? And Mm -hmm. and I think that that's really, that's really cool. Okay. So now, because again, this is for the adults. I know the adults are listening to this. I know there's no 12 year old out here listening to my podcast right now. Maybe, I don't know. But can you um, share with our parents some of the benefits that you've been able to experience in your work Um, with mindfulness with young people or even with adults yeah so I think like in regards to like children I think incorporating it in a family setting is just like kind of going back to what you were saying like you know practice what you preach if we're telling kids like this is helpful and they see you doing it as a parent I feel like they kind of want to copy and like be a part of that and like understand what's going on um, and I know like some of the parents I've worked with too have been like, you know, I will have time for my kids to do an activity, but it's like, I have to coach them to do it and like get them to sit down. And they were like, oh, but I realized if I did it with them, it was like a different response. And it was like, not so much around like that you have to facilitate those pieces, but that you're doing it collectively together. And I think it also like shows like the benefits of what mindfulness can be like, because it's not like, this is something to help you regulate yourself. This is like this something that we all can do and it can build connection as well. It would be, it would that be the language that you use? Hey, th- this will help us regulate ourselves. <laughs> yeah, not that language. I feel like depending if you're talking to maybe an older youth, but I think like I always describe it as in like, you know, if it's kids and like, you know, we all have feelings. Sometimes our feelings may feel overwhelming and sometimes there might be a lot going on. Like, can we maybe take a pause and just kind of notice what's happening and like, doing an activity and sometimes it's short like how you're sharing with your sister like doing a breathing activity and being like how do you feel and just for them to notice those pieces and connect um but it's like it's a way for us to just connect with each other like outside of everything else that's maybe going on and I think for like parents sometimes to understand it too is just that piece around when we're activating like our parasympathetic nervous system um so getting into like that's like slower process of like resting um, what ends up happening is if there's like people yeah, around I'm gonna them. pause you here I gotta pause you here this is my facilitator mode so um there's the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system right and we have both um they're working together constantly uh in this flow right and uh the parasympathetic nervous system is the lower or down regulating part of our nervous system so it deals with rest and digest 
right? So the times when we're more chill, um, the times that we are more calm, right? Like meditation activates the parasympathetic nervous system, right? Um, as opposed to the sympathetic nervous system was like the higher, which I, I don't think that I'm going to be explaining this right, but like... Um, um, more like our stress response. Exactly. Exactly. So, and we activate our stress responses actually in a couple of things, you know, I'm actually thinking that like our stress response is activated when we do things like strength training or weightlifting, right. Where it's just a little bit more high tempo. So when I say stress response, I don't want us to think about negative necessarily because, um, not all stress is, is bad necessarily, but, uh, what, um, I guess what you're speaking to when you're saying parasympathetic nervous system is like the side of our nervous system that helps us to like calm down and helps us to relax. And that meditation has been found to activate the point in our, in our brain and our nervous system of the parasympathetic. Yeah. Like another way I've been hearing people talk about is like, you know, the car, but like your sympathetic would be like pressing the gas and your brakes are like the parasympathetic. Like you need both but it's like the balance between them. Um, and so when we're doing like these mindfulness activities, if we're regulated, like as a parent, if you're regulated, you kind of help your child regulate too. And so an activity that I love to do to kind of demonstrate that is like, if you have two people go back to back and if it's a child, sometimes you want to give them a cushion because they're a bit smaller so that they can kind of get closer to that back to back. And just like, can you just breathe for like a minute or two? And sometimes what ends up happening is like you end up blowing with the breath. If someone's taking like, more deeper breaths like the young person doesn't have that capacity it kind of matches up a bit but I think that just really shows like that connection like you don't necessarily have to talk at times our bodies just like go towards those connection pieces and oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you finish I was gonna say it's kind of like you know those pieces of when you're really upset and you might want to hug from a friend or a loved one and sometimes just like sitting there and like you just kind of feel like a little bit of like okay like there's comfort I feel like that's kind of what mindfulness can also do as well. And that's what I love bringing it into um, when I was doing like family yoga, just because it's like this piece to connect. And, you know, especially when everyone might be feeling like we're just constantly on the go, or maybe everyone's seeing each other for so much and you're stuck in the same house and you're wanting activities. It's just like a different way to connect maybe without words and just noticing like the power that our bodies have to like help each other regulate as well. Oh my goodness. Yes. I just like something that you said, I was like, you don't always have to be talking and that's it. And you know, that's a big one for me because I'm so extroverted and I love talking to people. It's one of my favorite things. Um, but there's a time for talking and there's a time for not talking, you know, and that there's actually a great amount of power in those moments of not talking that our bodies are just so intelligent, literally are so intelligent that they will, they will fix themselves. They will regulate themselves. If we are just to pause and stop moving, like stop moving, stop talking for a second. And, and you'll see, it's so interesting. Like, I'm going to use this example from meditation practice where, you know, we often say, bring your attention to your breath and you don't have to change it. But once you bring your attention to your breath, something starts to happen. Like the observation, just just observing it slowly allows your breath to like 
become a little bit fuller, become a little bit deeper and you don't have to do anything. And I just think that that's so like for me, it's been so amazing because it has been a way for me to correct my shallow breathing is just by noticing, oh, I'm shallow breathing. And in the noticing, which is mindfulness, um, we have the opportunity to correct things without talking, without telling ourselves to do it. It, it will just do it. So that's really, really dope. Um, and then are there any other benefits that you think would um, support or any other benefits to mindfulness in, in a family setting? So I think like it also lets people know that your emotions come and go. Sometimes they can feel super overwhelming when you're sad and if the child's sad as well. But I think what it does is just like lets, you know, you might feel sad and it doesn't mean that you're going to be sad forever. I know I've worked with some kids and it's like if they have a bad day, they forget everything that happened before. And it just gives us that opportunity to reflect and be like, okay, like, you know, we were feeling happiness and happiness came and there is that and then sadness came. And I use the movie sometimes inside out with kids because I'm like, it just does it so well where I'm like, we have all these emotions and they all serve a purpose. Um, but sometimes like the emotions can feel really overwhelming, especially if you have like, maybe your kid, you know, might be a bit more sensitive and that's okay. Or maybe they are trying to express their need, but it comes out in different ways. And it's just letting them know, like, you know, things come and go. I think also just like when feelings feel really overwhelming, like if you're feeling really hurt or really sad, can we just take a moment to like pause, to breathe or like to color, like whatever that mindfulness activity is that can help support you. And then I think it also helps the kid know what's going on and also express that to the parent too. And also for the parent to check in as well. So like if you know, for instance, when your child is feeling overwhelmed, maybe they are going and they're drawing something. That might be a sign if you see your kid like in a certain room drawing like, okay, like let me, maybe that's something I need to do to just check in. We can do a breathing exercise first before even starting conversation and just seeing how they are. But sometimes kids also, I know when I work with parents, it's like, I'll ask them something. They're like, I don't know. Or like, I just feel sad, but I don't know why. And I think it's like, we go into like really quick fixes, but with mindfulness, we're just being present with what's there. And it's like, okay, like sadness is there. I think sometimes we try to avoid certain feelings Mm -hmm. And it just allows everyone to practice, like, it's okay to feel sad in this moment. And like, what can we do collectively? And that's like where that connection can come in. And that can really support the child for not feeling sad. They might see, feel like, okay, I'm being seen, I'm being heard. Yeah. And it's interesting, as you're talking, one of the things that really comes up for me is um, developing a quality of connection and developing a quality of communication, you know? And I don't know, I personally don't come from a family that communicates so openly about their emotions. And really what you're saying and what really stood out for me is it gives us the space to really talk about our emotions and navigate our emotions and organize our emotions and have language around our emotions and be able to like accept that our emotions exist and be able to like process through them with another person and the importance of doing that because as we go back to like the nervous system and not talking and all of these things right like we were just mm -hmm. talking about is like there's an opportunity for us like to co-regulate each other 
right, to co-regulate each other's emotions and that this really starts to um, like fortify that um, relationship. And um, I love that. It's, it's, it's so great, you know, like it, it really gives us this, this place of like, hey, anger is here, you know? Like, where do you feel anger in your body? Ha. Mm -hmm. huh. You know, do you, what do you need? Do you need to scream, right? Do you need to, do you need to draw? Do you need to talk about it? Do you need to take a walk, right? And oftentimes children, you know, they can't talk about it. You know, the, the part of their brain that, that is um, responsible for things like language and mm -hmm. um, reasoning and decision-making, often when they're in high emotional states, they can't access it. So they're like, ah! <laughs> right? And, and we as adults have to be um, there to support them to co-regulate that. And I think that mindfulness is a very important um, tool to support us co-regulating our children because we can't go in screaming too. Like that's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I think it's so true. Like uh, when you look at the brain, like the closer the kid is to like being born, they're more in touch with like those innate emotions, right? And those emotions pieces are there and that logical piece um, of our brain that doesn't fully form until like 21 as well. When I tell parents that they're like, I have to wait till about 21. And then like, it's a while, that doesn't mean that they're not capable of making choices. And so I think with any of us, when we have an emotional experience, we're like kind of stuck more in that emotional piece. And like Dan Siegel, like called it like the flipping the lid in terms of like that connection of the piece that makes sense of everything, like using our logical side Okay, should we go through that? I was thinking that I was like, oh my gosh, now we're here. Should we talk about the Daniel Siegel model? Are you comfortable explaining I, it? Or would you like me to? Either either I, or, I don't mind. Yeah, I feel like you can definitely go for it. Oh my gosh. This is Nicole. She's always putting me out. She's always putting me out there. So I feel like Nicole, you do such a good job at like explaining. Ever. That's her way of saying you do such a good job of improvising. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. So, Daniel Siegel has this model of the brain, and you can imagine your hand being um, your brain. So, this is the back part of our brain. And Nicole, you're going to correct me or add in as you as you feel fit. And um, I'll share this kind of the way that I share it with um, my young people. So the back part of our brain, which is connected to our spinal column and our nervous system um, is um, responsible for all of our executive functions. So when I say executive functions, I mean things like breathing, blinking, heart beating, the things that you don't wanna have to think about. Like imagine every time you had to blink, you were had to tell yourself blink, blink, blink. Like, it would be a lot. So the back part of our brain deals with like just the regular, degular going of the life, right? And then we have this thing over it called the limbic system, right? And the limbic system is um, our, our emotional sense or our protective um, part of our brain or you know, when I explain it to young people, because we, we often do it in a yoga setting, I say, you know, 
the amygdala and the hippocampus live there, but those names don't matter. It's our warrior one and our warrior two. So our warrior one, um, which is our amygdala, is responsible for fight, flight, freeze responses. And um, our hippocampus is responsible for, um, say we touch a hot stove and it burns us. We'll never touch that hot stove again. So the hippocampus stores information that we're going to need to remember for the future so that we're not in danger. So this is an, the animal part of our brain, like this back part of our brain, us and every single animal have in common, right? On top of this is our prefrontal cortex, right? And this is the thing that makes us unique as human beings, which is really cool. Uh, this is what's responsible for things like decision-making, language, um, long-term thought process. So what Nicole is saying is that like the prefrontal cortex or the front brain doesn't come into full development into, until the age of 21. So like our children, a lot of their inside animal brain is exposed, is exposed. They don't have the covering. They don't have the gray matter development until 21. I, I've actually heard even later than that, that our brain, you know, and there's a lot of research that neuroplasticity is always happening and all of these things. But that like our children don't have this developed. So when they're freaking out, when they're screaming, which is like flight response or um, fight response rather, or when they're running away from you because they're so pissed, like that's not um, conscious to them. This is like the, 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 little, the little puppy or the little kitten but we don't always see it as that right like we we see them as children and they they're humans and they should have decision making processes and all of these things but like man they're actually learning through life experience how to make choice we are actually supporting them to develop their brain to make choice so when they're adults they can make choice you know, and sometimes you should be able to make this choice. No, we are helping them develop this right now. And mindfulness can be one of those ways that we do develop the frontal brain and get it online and get it working efficiently and effectively. Okay. I probably messed that up, but um, if you want to add anything, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you did an amazing job. And yeah, it's a lot of piece around something that is like our brain might be here, but then like, like, when we have like, these big emotional responses, the frontal part like disconnects from like where those emotions are. And when we're doing like mindfulness or even like validation in these pieces, what we're doing is we're trying to bring that frontal part like slowly back to connect. Um, and it's why I always give the example of like, you know, if you were the three or four year old in the grocery store and they're screaming because they want that chocolate bar and you're trying to reason with them with like, we have a chocolate bar at home, the exact same one will be home in five minutes. They don't hear any of that. And it's like, you can reason all you want. All they're feeling is their emotions. And it's like, if we support that emotion, we're able to help calm them down. But I think it's just really natural. I think it comes from a great place. Like if a kid falls and you're like, oh, like, don't fall, you're fine. Again, it's like, we want to support them. We want to make sure like they're okay. And I think it comes from a good place. And it's also like, it may not be like the most supportive for like their nervous system or what they're experiencing because they're very much in that emotion piece. Yo, okay, listen, Nicole says really powerful things 
really fast and she jumps through it like it's not really important. Yo, do you know what the what she just said to you all right now? She said that when your child is having a temper tantrum and you want to be like, well, in five minutes, a da, 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 and you want to give all of your long Shapil, nobody's hearing that. Nobody is hearing you. Okay. <laughs> so this is to my parents. Like, we have to get really good at acknowledging what is showing up for our young people without needing to fix it, without needing to get them to shut up, without getting to need them to, sh- to shut down. Like that's a skill that we have to develop in our own mindfulness practice, of course. But like really in that moment, what young people need to hear is like, hey, are you really frustrated right now? I'm sorry that you're really frustrated. Like, what does that frustration feel like? I hear that you're very frustrated. And more often than not, the acknowledging of their feelings will be the thing that supports the shift, right? We go back to that thing that the mindfulness, the awareness is the thing that helps us to shift, not the, anyways, not the words, stop talking. (laughs) like less talking is more you know like sometimes in these moments like touch like you know I, I always remember with my little sister I used to just grab her hand and rub her palm so that she could feel touch right a really firm push so that now she's can focus on oh wait I feel this it's warm it's firm I'm in my body right? Not this, like, this, like, reasoning front part of the brain. All the seven reasons why you should, it's like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah, and I think just going off of that too, like something that I think is so important that you mentioned was, you know, coming with like parents on practice as well, like not wanting to respond, but being there. And I was like, parents are humans too. You have your own triggers, you have your own responses. And I think that's where like, doing mindfulness as a family can work if everyone's working towards it. Like you might be having a really horrible day and then your kid's saying something and it's like, you're gonna respond in a way from that place of like feeling maybe stressed out or like just exhausted. And it's like, maybe it's just taking that moment for yourself or can you recognize that? And I think it's just so powerful when you see videos um, and even just hearing people that I know their stories around like their young kids, like really young, like from two or three are learning about like breathing and like sometimes they can tell when their parents are feeling a bit upset and like will go up to their parent and be like breathe or they have their hands up and like down because that's what they were learning. And so they start to cue like, okay, like because kids can pick up on things. They can pick up on maybe like, you know, your energy is a bit different or when you're stressed out. And I think that's a collective piece, right? It's not just on, yes, there's more responsibility in the parents to kind of check in with their kids. But like sometimes kids can also be that like visual cue that we might need to take for ourselves when we might forget because we have so much going on where they're just like breathe or like maybe it's like you have something around like if you're noticing there's a lot of people who stress I think Titnat Khan had a practice where it was using a bell or like if anyone was really angry or really upset like people would just ring the bell and everyone in the household would just take a couple of breaths and then go on with their day or like check in with each other That's and so beautiful. yeah <laughs> And I like y'all use your kids. Okay. But like children will remind you, they will remind you. They're like, mommy, you're not breathing. Mommy, you know, I'm not, um, 
a parent, but I like I do know this from facilitating children. If you tell your children that we're meditating every night before bed, they will remind you. So this is the really important piece around enrolling your family in the process and enrolling especially young children in the process because they will hold you accountable. Like they're not going to let you fall off of your mindfulness-based practice because <laughs> um, they don't forget. I love that. Um, all right. Um Okay, and then before we're going to do a small practice, um, but before we get into that is what do you think that parents can expect when they're starting to bring up these practices with young people? So one of the things I think about is like the piece of forgetting, which we were just talking about and how kids can keep us accountable. I think sometimes like, you know, it might take a while to kind of build a practice and for everyone to get used to the routine and that piece around like change doesn't happen right away and so like you know that could be letting your children know or even like your expectations for yourself sometimes I think like mindfulness gets sold really well and it's like I do this and everything's gonna be better like it's gonna help your child regulate and you could try it for like three days and be like there's no difference and I think it's that piece around okay like we need to work on this with time and I know in like um, emotion focused family training, they use this piece around like the one degree. So it's like a compass. So all we're looking for like is a one degree shift. But if you're mm -hmm. on a boat and like you shift through course, like one degree, eventually you end up somewhere a lot further than when you thought you would originally be. And it's that piece that like just the tiniest shift that we want to see. And over time it keeps building and we keep, we get closer to that place. But I think it does take some piece like parts around patience. And like your kids might be resistant towards it too. I don't know how many kids are going to be eagerly like, yes, let's do this. And especially if you want to like sit down. So it's like, if you get that, great, go with it. But there might be resistance. And that's where that creativity piece comes in. That's where looking at all different pieces around mindfulness um, and exploring and just working with your kids. And also like, you know, what do you not like about it? Right. And then, and then they might just say like, it just feels really boring. And then it's like, okay, like, what can we do to make it maybe feel not so boring? And I think as you develop that practice, like things can change over time. So you might not start with like sitting down for like 30 seconds. You might do a lot more activity that might be more physical activity. Like sound can be away from mindfulness. Eating can be away from mindfulness. Walking, doing any kind of physical activity. Like there's so many different ways to bring mindfulness in. So I think just like really trying to find those pieces. And I think that's where really knowing your child and seeing like what, like what their interest is. If they're really into soccer, can you find a way to incorporate mindfulness into soccer? It could be before they start maybe practicing or maybe as part of their drill. And then it's easier to incorporate, I think in different places because it feels a bit familiar and doesn't feel really overwhelming. And I think, you know, sometimes we want to praise people right away. And I know I'm guilty of that. Like if someone's doing something, I'm like, oh, that's so great. But then it's like, if they're not doing that, like what are we saying in those moments? Um, and just kind of sharing, like, you know, sometimes it's hard to do mindfulness. Sometimes it's hard to be here. Ooh, pin it, pin it, pin it. What are we saying in the moments when it is not successful? We got to pin it. We got to pin it. Because we, it's actually a two-sided coin or a double-edged sword, right? Like we really praise 
um, when things work out the way that we perceive is the right way. Let's get real. Mm-hmm. And when we perceive things are not the right way, we get very like, or we can get some of us, it can be our proclivity to get really upset about this and be really like, I can't believe you can't do this, or you should be able to do this, or we're going to do this or get firmer or get heavier or get. And really what Nicole is saying here is that we have to also be reinforcing young people with um, the reality of the situation that, hey, this is challenging. Hey, uh, what can we do to make this easier for you? Hey, maybe we'll try to do this for one minute instead of five minutes. Hey, finding an alternative route because when we start to add things like discipline into the way that we're delivering the practice, it becomes like, punitive, you don't do your mindful space practice, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, our, our young people are not going to want to come back to it. They're not going to want to do it. So we really have to be gentle with them in the process. And, you know, like, I don't know who's ever tried to do, do meditation themselves as adults. Like, it is not easy. Like, like, like I don't even, I, oh my goodness. I just... Uh, and I think you really touched on that that next piece where we were going to go into like, you know, how to meet resistance. And if there's any other things that you want to touch on before we practice, I would love for you to get there. Yeah. yeah. So like just really reinforcing those pieces of finding ways to get them involved. Because I think the more they, they have, the more interested they're in. Again, it's like if someone tells you, I want you to do this versus like, hey, here are a couple of options, which feels like it might be more useful for you. And then we might feel more inclined to do that. Um, I think like sometimes creating a routine can also be helpful because like what you were saying, you know, if it's like after bed or early in the morning before everyone starts school, like everyone's used to that piece and you know what to expect. And it's not coming all of a sudden. Um, So I would say like, you know, if your child is like playing video games and loves playing video games and then you're telling them to get off to do a mindfulness practice, there's going to be probably a lot of resistance because a lot of kids would want to continue playing their video game and that's fun. And now it's like, I don't want to do this other piece. So I always say like, can you find times where you might have more success? And that might be, maybe there's times where everyone's just a little bit tired and they can't play video games or maybe it's like a rainy day and you can't go with that. Like, you know, trying to find those moments that can really work with the schedule um, and letting everyone know like this takes time for things to change. It may not do things right away and that we're all in this together and kind of working towards it and just being compassionate around like the process like you know maybe you do it and it's like okay today I was really I think using ourselves like as adults as examples are so important it's like yeah yeah, like if you want to do a little debrief around like how the practice went if it's doing a coloring mindfulness activity a scavenger hunt or even just breathing and you might share like oh today was like really hard for me to focus like I was just thinking about what I need to make for everyone for like lunch like how do you all feel and they might be like, oh, yeah, it's like, I'm just really excited. I'm going to have like a play date with a friend. And I was just thinking about that. And so I was just thinking about all the things that we can do. And I think that's like a different way of like, okay, like we're acknowledging that they are these real pieces that we're not going to fully be focused on our breath all the time and making it really realistic, but also just compassionate and sharing like our own experiences 
like your experiences as like a parent. And I think that also helps kids realize like, okay, like it's not bad that like I'm thinking of other things. And like my parent is also doing that. And like we're in this together kind of process. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, again, like one of the pieces that comes up as you're talking is like, wow, how powerful this is in building communication. Like, w- like, uh, <laughs> I don't even, it's so great. You know, we don't even, um, yeah, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. So before we leave each other, because this has been so great, Nicole, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. I, um, I was sharing with Nicole earlier. I was like, I just want people to talk to me. I, I love to talk to people. So I'm always really grateful when people come in and talk to me. Um, so I want for folks to have um, something that they can take away. Always it comes sit with us. Um, our practitioners offer something that folks can use in their life of practice. And today I've asked Nicole to lead us through a practice that we might be able to do uh, with our young people. So this is like an all levels beginners practice. Um, And I'm wondering if you would lead us through that now. Uh, So the activity that I was thinking of is kind of, you can use it in different ways. You can use your imagination or you can actually use prompts. Um, and so what it would be is you would think about a worry. And so I've done this with a few kids where I'm like, just think about like a worry that you might have in this moment. And as you think yeah, let's about do it, it, let's do it, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So once you have your worry in your mind, you might pretend that, you know, you might be blowing a bubble. So you can pretend that you're dipping your um, wand into the mixture where the bubbles are and you might put it by your mouth. And as you blow out, you're going to pretend that you're going to blow out your worry into the bubble. And you can do that again if you feel like, you know, maybe there's another worry or maybe that worry still feels there. You can think about it. And then whenever you're ready, you can blow it out, releasing your worry. And so you can decide how long you want to do that. Like if you feel like your kid is really resonating with it or you are really resonating with it, because sometimes a kid might be out, but you might want to continue going a couple of rounds and then they might be like, oh. Okay. I love that. That's a great one. Okay. That one was really quick and awesome. Do you have another one that's kind of like that? Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to share. So with that one, you can also actually use bubbles, right? So you can actually take bubbles, go outside and like, you could be like, there are all my worries and you can actually see them like floating away and you could pop them if you wanted. (laughs) And I've also done it with uh, one of the kids I was doing it with didn't want bubbles. and was like, I have a balloon. And I was like, go for it. Like let's blow the worry into the balloon and release the balloon. And again, like the worry is just there. So I think that definitely is something that can be there. And then you can also use it as an opportunity. Like we're talking about can um, like having conversations around like, Oh, like what was your worry? Like if you want to share, what was your worry? And again, you can increase that piece around like, Oh, maybe I'm worried because I have like a test coming up or a presentation. And you can have a conversation around that that can come up in a way that doesn't feel really threatening. And then you can also share like, Oh, like, you know, I was really worried about, and again, if your parents sharing your worry and like, you always want to do it in an age appropriate way of like, what's helpful for them. So it could just be like, you know, I'm worried about maybe my rain tomorrow and we have like a picnic planned and pieces like that. But I think it can, again, create that conversation. <laughs> yeah. I love that piece. Nicole, you say these really powerful things 
and you just like read through them. So I gotta pause y'all. Yeah, no for a he said age appropriate sharing, friends. So you're not gonna tell your children that you're worried about the bills. That is not age appropriate. <laughs> you are not going to tell your children that you're worried that their parent is upset with you. That's also not age appropriate sharing. Like we have to find the things that um, they can receive in that moment and that will be helpful and useful to them. Things that are on their level. So you use this example of like, hey, we have a picnic plan tomorrow, but it might rain and I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that. Or I have a work assignment you know, and I'm really worried, 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 worried. So I just wanted to reel us back on what Nicole just said because she breezed through that very important point, and I want to pin it: age-appropriate sharing, age-appropriate sharing, right? So. You know, what's not age appropriate sharing is I'm really stressed out because of the bills, right? Like our children um, don't need to know that. That's not within necessarily their capacity to hold that information. Um, or I'm really stressed out about, I don't know, my boyfriend, the fight that me and my boyfriend are having. That's really inappropriate. But some things that could feel like appropriate sharings is like, I have a work presentation and I'm really worried about it. I'm trying to do this activity and I'm worried that I'm not going to be very good at it. Um, you know, and, and many others. So I just want us to like, as we're increasing our communication with our young people to understand that it is coming with boundaries. Of course, we're not uh, fully communicating everything that, um, you know, like we're having discernment, discernment, which Andre and I talked about last week. <laughs> um, okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot maybe, but can you share with us one more activity before we get going that we could use? Yeah, so this one, um, so I think you can incorporate different pieces. So this one's like around touch. So if you have your fingers like this, and then it's really just like doing a couple of taps. So five taps, and then you keep going. And then you can do all the way. And then you can repeat it again backwards. Man, that takes a lot of focus. <laughs> Yeah, and so what I like is like it gives up you something to focus on and focusing on your breath can be hard. So you're focusing on your hands when we're actually like touching, we're actually like stimulating some of like the pieces that can help our parasympathetic nervous system also activate too. And it's something that can be really like, it doesn't take like a two, five minutes. Like you can do it for as long as you want. But I feel like with kids, it's something like the small. So it's like, you know, if you're worried about a presentation, can we do this? Or 
you know, you might even, if you want, like if you have the whole family, you can sit in a circle and have your hands all like this so that you all are hands to hands and like do the tapping, which might be more effort. <laughs> like thinking it's about like, so, hard. so yeah, an easier way might be just like one-on-one. -on -one. So you might go like this and then maybe one hand and then do the other hand as well. But like there's oh. different ways to increase that connection. So it doesn't just have to be like your hands, like you can do this so that they know they can do it whenever they want but they can also be these added pieces around like, okay, we can do this together as well. Wow. 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 That's a great activity. I'm going to probably use it. All right. Where can we find you, Nicole, if we, if we want to um, learn more from you, learn more with you, bring our families to you? <laughs> Tell me. Um, so on social media on Instagram, it's Lotus Strength Wellness, all one word. Um, and then the website is also the same, lotusstrengthwellness.com. Um, and so that's for more information, but you can always reach out to me um, if you want, like on Instagram, you can send a message if you're looking to connect. I'm looking into June of creating like a little bit because I definitely miss teaching family yoga. It's been like a long time since I've been able to do that. So I've been talking to a few parents and just maybe two short workshops around like bringing yoga, mindfulness, and talking about our emotions with our young folks. So I'm looking into offering that on June, which will be posted on both the website and social media. And then on the website, um, it also gives you a way to connect with me if you're looking for more specific things or you want more of that one-on-one -on -one support. Um, and then, yeah, social media. So Instagram, uh, that's where I'll be posting more content that I'm going to be working on in ways of incorporating mindfulness, including like ways to incorporate mindfulness with your families. Amazing. So I love that family yoga in June. Um, I'm going to post all those details. Nicole will send them to me and we'll write them into the description box. Um, much love to you. Thank you for coming to sit with me. Thank you to, for coming to talk with me and be well. Uh, thank you so much for having me and the topic as well. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's always Anytime. great talking and learning with you. Yeah, that conversation was awesome. <laughs> Bye for now.